Good morning and welcome to the Calvary Chapel live stream. It's a blessing to share God's word with you today. We'll be in Luke chapter 15. And uh, if you're a regular, you notice that there is no blue curtain behind me. And that's because we're working towards a hybrid service, hopefully in the next week or two, where we'll have uh, an in-church option if you wanted to come in. If you're low risk and abide by the social distancing guidelines, um, they'll have an opportunity to come in here and hear live and also continue to live stream. So we've been working with the lighting and uh, just trying to make it feasible for the worship team and everything. So working towards that, please keep praying. And uh, also about the questions, we thank you for those who have utilized the questions, but what we're going to do is start... Um, we won't do it, like if you were to ask a question today, let's say, we'd deal with it next week. It just makes it a lot easier for uh, me and the team to better prepare to answer those questions and to uh, address things related to what we're talking about in the Word. So thanks again for joining um, the stream today, and it's a blessing to, to be able to share with you the things that God's showing me and teaching me and I've already been able to put into practice the things that the Lord is, is saying through his word. So let's pray together. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you are true, that there is no falsehood in you, that you are righteous and awesome in all your ways. You're perfect. And we love you, Lord, that you would be so gracious to us that you sent your son to die for, our, for us so that we could be forgiven of all of our sins, that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, you are so good in the compassion you've shown for us, and we thank you. You rejoice over those who repent in Jesus' name. Amen. God is so gracious and good to pursue a relationship with sinners, with people who have offended him. When I've been offended by somebody, it usually isn't my first, well, it's never my first inclination to want to, um, I guess, draw closer to that person in friendship. And the gospel of Jesus, it's so in contrast to the other religions in the world because central to the message is not what the sinner must do to be saved. It's what Jesus Christ has done and how he has paid the price so that we could be forgiven, so we could be restored to relationship with God. And he's done everything to save us in spite of our rebellion and our sin and our wandering. And God has room in his kingdom for sinful, uh, the greedy tax collector and the self-righteous Pharisee and young and old, slave and free, Jew and Gentile, to anyone who will come and answer his call, he receives joyfully. He's not like a man who enjoys the thrill of the chase or of romantic conquest. He, he's the one who's willing to settle down with that one wife and be that loyal family man. Uh, we're not like possessions that gather dust and are locked away or the old adage of children should be seen and not heard. Or he, he invites us to speak. He wants to see us. He, he has a place at his table for us to have fellowship with him, to commune daily. He dwells in unapproachable glory in the heavens, but he put on human flesh and he suffered so that we could know God and we could understand the divine pursuit of love and grace when we deserve damnation, we deserve punishment for our sin. But God, he has been gracious and kind to us. He's called us by name and Jesus says his sheep hear his voice, he knows them and they will follow him. So we've reached a well-known passage in scripture 
It contains three parables that have the same message, that God rejoices to receive those who repent, and that it's fitting all should rejoice when one comes to him, when one who is lost is found. The psalmist wrote this in Psalm 119, 176. He says, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. A lost sheep doesn't know where to go, doesn't know where to look. But the shepherd goes after that lost sheep and finds him and rejoices. Jesus was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. He made himself known to them as the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to know the Father is through Jesus Christ and faith in him. And let's not imagine that the lost only refers to the unregenerate, to those who have never uh, received the gospel or not yet. They haven't yet received the gospel. But even those who know Jesus as the good shepherd can wander from him. So repentance, it's relevant for both the, the unsaved or the unregenerate, those who don't yet know God, and also those who know him and profess to love him. And instead of wasting time when we hear a message like this on wondering where someone else stands in their relation to God, let help, Lord, may I be the one who is repenting, and may you be the one who's repenting so that God will rejoice over you. All right, Luke 15, starting in verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Jesus, he taught as he walked along the way, and it says tax collectors and heathen drew near to hear him. They were curious and intrigued by Jesus and the things that he had to say. But the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees, they found fault. It drew the ire of the Pharisees, that he would speak with them, that he would eat with them, that he would join himself to them in some way, and they murmured against him. They said, this man receives sinners and eats with them. You can hear the disgust in their tone and the envy. They won't even mention him by name. Like, this man, he, he, he receives sinners, he even eats with them. And it seems like they, like many to this day, they judged Jesus' character based upon the company he kept while it is true that bad company corrupts good habits, Jesus is incorruptible. He received sinners to redeem them. He didn't become like them. How else would sinners be saved unless Jesus or those who followed him spoke about his truth? Let's beware that we're not as the Pharisees who sinned in their self-righteousness by pronouncing Jesus guilty by association. Really, who were they to judge another man's servant? And they judged the Son of God. They misjudged him. I love that Jesus did not bristle at their speech. He did not rebuke them for the things that they said, but he entreated them. He taught them gently and compassionately. They had hard hearts, but he was still gentle. Um, we, we find, if we found hard ground, you would need to get a heavy uh, pick or a digging bar, something that's like, all right, a hard, hard surface, we're going to use a hard implement and a lot of force, a jackhammer to break up this hard soil. But the scripture says that a gentle answer breaks a bone. Jesus spoke gently to them, and his word would go to work on their hearts to soften them. Let's let our guard down at his gentle word so we can be teachable too. Luke 15, verse 3, it says, So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, 
does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Jesus spoke a parable about a man who had a hundred sheep and lost one of them. He would not be content or rest knowing even one sheep of his flock was unaccounted for. And so he secured the 99 sheep to go after that one and looked for it until he found it. I remember a story Nathan told David. He said, this man had a lamb and he treated it like his own daughter. Now, I don't know any shepherds. But I know if one of, one of your children went missing, you wouldn't say, oh, well, easy come, easy go. I've got more of those at home. No, you would drop what you're doing. You would raise the alarm. You would use everything in your power to look for your lost child. It's important to point out that Jesus took personal ownership of this sheep that was lost. Uh, the, the, the man in the parable, he said, my sheep is missing. Not someone else's sheep. My sheep is missing, and I'm going to look until I find it. He wanted to restore it to himself. The man was persistent to search. He found the sheep. He laid it on his shoulders rejoicing. He, he was so relieved and glad to find the sheep. He wasn't spending the time like he, he, he found the sheep and he didn't berate it. He didn't kick it. He didn't drag it along to teach it a lesson. He carried it home. He carried it to the paddock. And he was so glad about his find that he he called together his friends and neighbors and said, rejoice with me, I found what was lost. He was so ecstatic, he could not keep his happiness to himself. As a kid, I remember on Sunday afternoons uh, during the Chargers season, which is a football team, uh, the San Diego Chargers in those days, that uh, I didn't have to be watching TV or listening to the radio to know when the Chargers were doing well because we had a neighbor who whenever they did something good, he'd be hooting and shouting and carrying on about how the great things they've done. And he was so excited, he just couldn't keep it to himself. So his, the noise was wafting over that fence toward us in the backyard. And we're like, oh, I guess we're doing good today. Uh, have you ever been that excited where you just couldn't keep the good news to yourself? Something happened, you go, who am I going to tell? What? This is too good to keep to myself. And that's how, how it was when he found that sheep. There are things worth celebrating, and all Jesus hearers agree that finding a lost sheep was an appropriate time to celebrate and rejoice. Then Jesus provides the interpretation. He says, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. The Pharisees complained that Jesus received sinners but Jesus explained there was more, more joy in heaven over a sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. Now, sheep, they don't have the understanding of a human being. Uh, they cannot repent. The owner of the sheep, he sought to find it, found it. And Jesus, it says, the scripture, that he came to seek the lost sheep of Israel. And he preached repentance to all. And this is a really key word to our text. To repent, it means to think differently or afterwards, reconsider. One who repents of their sin is one who acknowledges and recognizes their guilt before God. 
confesses it, that they have done wrong, this change of mind, it then results in changed decisions and a changed life. Because all people are sinners, repentance is needed in everyone. Uh, in one situation, we might be just, as it says here, that there's no need to repent, but we are all sinners and there is need for repentance. Because if you think about a sinner is someone who has sinned, a liar is someone who has lied, a thief is one who has stolen something. You don't have to have done it that very moment for that to stick with you. And uh, praise the Lord that he takes away our guilt, that when we do repent, we are forgiven because he has paid the price, the atonement for our sin. He pursues sinners with love and grace and bids us to respond to conviction of sin with repentance. And I imagine that exhausted, perhaps waterlogged sheep that was weary and tired, uh, running from predators and, and without the comfort of the flock, was very glad to be swept up in the arms of the shepherd and carried safely to the fold. Feelings of guilt and shame that prompt repentance, it makes way for rejoicing in heaven and also in us to be held in the arms of the Lord who loves us. Luke 15, verse 8. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus followed that parable with the shepherd with the woman who lost one of her ten coins that was of, made of silver. It was a precious thing, knowing that silver tarnishes and it would, the longer it's away uh, or un not found or lost, let's say. The longer it's lost, the more chance it has to become uh, much more tarnished and difficult to find. So she's like, I know it's in this house somewhere. She lights a lamp. She starts sweeping. She searches carefully, keeps looking until she finds that coin. Like the man who found the lost sheep. When she finds that coin, she rejoices. She calls her neighbors together and her friends and says, rejoice with me. No one would have been indignant or angry that she found her lost property. They would have celebrated with her. They would have said, yes, this is a reason to celebrate. Jesus concluded the parable the same way. He says, likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When one sinner repents, God rejoices and he bids all heaven to rejoice with him. There was one occasion where the Pharisees asked Jesus, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And this put him potentially in a tough spot because to say yes, it would erode public support of Jesus, of the Jews who resented having to pay taxes to Rome, and they resented that rule. But if he said no, then they could use that against him and accuse him of sedition before the Roman government. So they were like, we got him now. But Jesus said, show me a coin. They showed him a coin. He says, what image and inscription is that? And they said, Caesar. And he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And the people just marveled at his wisdom. Human beings have been made in the image of God. We bear likeness to him in that he's given us a soul, an eternal part of us, and the, an understanding and a unique ability to have a relationship with him 
um, that we choose to enter into. He, he has given this unique potential to human beings who have been made in his image. And he wants a relationship with us that's founded on love and mutual understanding, not driven by instinct or just what uh, we might gain from it. But love would be the basis of our relationship. That we have freely loved and chosen God, just like he has loved and chosen us. And it's amazing that God would seek us out, that he would want to have a relationship with us when we consider his righteousness, his purity and holiness, his glory, and our unworthiness, that we are sinners who don't, we deserve punishment. Adam was formed of the dust of the ground, dust we are and to dust we'll return, yet God's made a way for us to be redeemed, to be reconciled to God when we repent and we receive the gospel. And God rejoices over every sinner that repents. In light of those who rejoice over finding a a lost sheep or a lost coin, it's even more appropriate that we would rejoice when a person comes into the light and is swept up in God's gracious love and forgiveness. Continuing on in Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Jesus told a parable about a man who had two sons. One day the younger son demanded his inheritance. And for whatever reason, the son decided he would do better at managing his life and his own affairs more than his father. He wanted freedom to do whatever, whenever he wanted, without restriction, without the responsibility of living in the household. And it wasn't long after he received the goods that he took everything and he went to a, a far country. And it says in this distant land, he wasted his possessions with prodigal, the King James says, riotous living. And that word riotous in the Greek, it means to cast off all restraint. When he lived in his father's house, he was restrained from doing some of the things he wanted to do. But he's in this foreign, he's in this faraway country Nobody knows him. He doesn't need to worry about the shame that he might bring upon his father's house. And he just gave himself to every excess, pleasure, business, food, drink. He failed in business. He squandered all the money he had, all his possessions. And a day came when he was in want and he had this famine that brought hard times. And this was a first for a man with a privileged upbringing His father had always provided for his needs before. The money he had and flattered himself to think that he could manage better than his father was lost. And it says he joined himself to a citizen of that country. So he left his father and he joined himself to this citizen. To survive, he worked for room and board. Uh, And it was quite a fall from grace. His job was to feed the hogs. And he would have gladly filled his belly with the carob pods that they were eating. That's the word used in the Greek, which those carob pods, they're high in fiber and little else. Uh, 
In fact, eating too much of them, it can inhibit our body's ability to digest nutrients. So he was slowly starving away. Now, no one's going to eat carob pods unless you have to. Uh, There was a reason why it was pig's food. And when he was living like a king, he wouldn't have fought to have a side dish of carob. And it seems, it says in verse 10, no one gave him anything. So he wasn't even getting paid for what he was doing. His, his um, I guess, what, compensation for feeding the pigs was wrestling the pigs for scraps. He would eat of their food. And uh, to a Jew hearing this, they were just probably very squeamish in hearing about this man who is now eating with and touching and caring for these unclean animals under the law. People would have welcomed death rather than to suffer the social shame of this man's predicament. But what else could he do to survive? And he was barely doing that. Verse 15, chapter 15, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Finally, the man had an epiphany. He came to himself. He'd been dissatisfied in his father's house. He went to a foreign land and did as he pleased. But it was not until he was living and eating with the pigs, he remembered who he was and who his father was. He was the son of a good father. At his lowest point, his mind went beyond that riotous living and that that season of pleasure where he really lived high on the hog, that riotous living, and he went back beyond that to when he was living at home and cared for and provided for. And he says, man, my dad's servants, they have food and to spare. They've got plenty of food while I'm starving. What am I doing here? Starving to death feeding pigs when I could at least be a servant of a kind and generous master. And so he decided, I'm going to go home to my father. I'm going to admit and repent of the sin that I've done wrong before God and him. I'm unworthy to even be a son, called a son. Maybe he could make me like one of his hired servants. We see this brokenness in him where he's not expecting anything. He's actually expecting to not be received back. But if he he aims low, maybe he'll have a chance. He'll muster up courage. He's now willing to work for a place. And how often this rings true, that a person has to be brought to a low point before they'll take the initiative to humble themselves and repent before God and man. When the man sinned, he was not himself. He was not living at a level fitting of his father's provision and care. He had been raised um, much better than that. But it took eating and living with the pigs to discover how lost he was, how breaking off that relationship with his father, it was leading to his ruin. It ruined him, and it broke him. He had had a heart that was broken with the guilt of what he had done, and he shouldered the blame for everything. So he doesn't have resentment about his father and how he was raised or his upbringing and why it was someone else's fault that these things happened or his friends who tricked him or, uh, like, he's not, he's taking all the blame. And that's repentance. It's admitting to being all wrong 
without excuse or caveat or blaming others, and it involves taking action before God and men to set things right, to restore relationship. And Spurgeon observed this man who left for his father's home. I, I really like how he puts this. He says, he did not go back to the citizen of that country and say, will you raise my wages? If not, I must leave. Had he parlayed, he had been lost, but he gave his old master no notice. He concerned his indentures by running away. I would that sinners here would break their league with death and violate their covenant with hell by escaping for their lives to Jesus who receives all such runaways. That's so good that he would just run away from that horrible condition and go back to his father who loved him. Luke 15, verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. The son was good as his word. He traveled that long distance and it took a while. It was a far country and he had no animal to ride. He had no shoes on his feet. But while he was still a great way off, it says his father saw him. He recognized him despite his uh, squalor and his, his clothing, just probably looking very unkempt. He had compassion. He ran to him. He hugged. It says he kissed him repeatedly. So he's just kissing him over and over. I love this. Compassion moves the father to run to his son who is stinky and filthy. Uh, the son hated being with the pigs and wanted to get away from them. And the father ran to the son who had been living like a pig and he hugged him. He kissed him and received him. Those who heard Jesus would have been so shocked for this dignified older gentleman to be running to his, to be running, first of all, then to be running to his son who had shamed him so, and then to be kissing him and receiving him. The son begins his rehearsed message. He doesn't even get to the part where he planned to ask to be like one of the hired servants. It says, but his father said, his father interrupted him. And he doesn't do it to give him a piece of his mind or say, I told you so, or to, to turn on his heels and walk away and say, get lost. No. He tells his servants, get the best robe and put it on him. Get a ring, put it on his finger, put shoes on his feet. And that's not all. Get the fatted calf. It's not like many fatted calves. They had one fatted calf. Get the fatted calf, the one we've been saving, and we're going to have a barbecue dinner. We're going to drop all the normal business of the day and we are going to celebrate because my son who was lost has been found. He was as good as dead, but now he's alive. And they began to, be make, to make merry. The son who hoped, who just, just dared to dream he could be received as a servant, was restored as a son. In the distant land, no man gave him anything. But here he was given forgiveness and a place and uh, belonging and delight and rejoicing in his return. The father was compassionate and generous to him. 
The lost son was found when he voluntarily came to the father in repentance. His father was looking for him, but it was necessary for the, first, for the son to first willingly return in humility to be restored. Continuing in Luke 15, verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. The focus of the parable now shifts to the older son, who was dutifully working in the fields, as he came near the house, he hears music and dancing and a bit of a commotion and asks the servants, what's going on? What's the meaning of this? This is unexpected. The servant reported his brother had come. He had been received safe and sound, and the fatted calf had been killed for him. And the older brother, he was angry. He was deeply offended. He refused to join in the party. He misunderstood the rejoicing of his father. It wasn't to re reward folly, but to express joy at his son's recovery. And when the father realized the older son hadn't come in, what does he do? He went to him. So just like he ran to his son who was coming home from the pigsty, he goes out to his son who was angry that he showed favor on him. The answer of the older brother, it's focused all on all he had done and the wrongs of his brother and even that his father had been stingy towards him. There's this bitterness in him, and he even says, that son of yours, just like they had said of Jesus, that man, he eats with sinners and receives them. Morris said this, the proud and self-righteous always feel that they are not treated as well as they deserve. There's anger and envy, and, and he really exaggerates his obedience, right? I have only done the right all the time. And you're like, come on. <laughs> Who could say that? That we've done, we have always done the right thing all the time. Like I said, I, I've had reason to repent uh, by now, today, about things that I have done today. So praise the Lord that we, he rejoices over those who repent, and we need to repent. He saw his brother's actions as beyond redemption. He, he's like, I never transgressed your your command at any time. This son of yours devoured your livelihood. So he's like offended for the father's sake, but is the father offended? No, the father's not offended at all. He's rejoicing. He's so glad to have his son back who was lost and has now been found. The older brother, he lived in his father's house, but his heart was far from the father's heart. And this interaction illustrates well the indignant feelings of the Pharisees who were angry that Jesus received sinners and ate with them. The father, he was patient with his angry son. While the son begrudged, he had never been given a barbecue, you know, even a kid, even a small goat. You, you never let me have a goat with my friends. His father pointed out something he took for granted. What did he say? He said, son, you are always 
with me, and all that I have is yours. How blessed he was to always be with the presence of the Father. He was there with him. Well, he didn't have to be uh, wrestling for scraps from greedy, squealing pigs. The father explained it was appropriate for them to celebrate the return of his brother, who was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. There was no ulterior motive of the father. He wasn't like saying, well, you know, I'm trying to make this a better environment so that he'll stay or manipulating or showing favor or some sort of nepotism. He, he liked one son more than the other. It's not about that. He's simply rejoicing that his son has returned. And rejoicing over repentance was the right thing to do, regardless of what he did. I agree with this quote from Matthew Henry. He says, See how favorable and friendly his father was in his carriage toward him when he was thus sour and ill-humored. This is as surprising as the former. Methinks the mercy and grace of our God in Christ shine almost as brightly in his tender and gentle bearing with peevish saints as before in his reception of prodigal sinners upon their repentance. The disciples of Christ themselves had many infirmities and were men subject to like passions as others, yet Christ bore with them. And praise the Lord, he bears with us. Friends and family, is it possible we could be offended like this man, even for God's sake, that older son, when God is only full of compassion, mercy, and forgiveness? We charge God with wrong, and whenever we do so, we are wrong, and we must repent. I wonder if that older brother repented and went into the feast. I wonder if he embraced his brother and never again pointed out his faults or his past. Or if he continued to hold it against him. We don't know. I wonder if he doubted his brother's repentance and was suspicious that he was after his part of the inheritance as well. But the father wasn't worried. He wasn't bitter or angry. He rejoiced that he had his son back and he could actually have a closer relationship with his son now than he could before he went because the son came back freely. He repented and uh, praise the Lord, he receives us when we repent with rejoicing. When the father told his son, all I have is yours, I'm reminded of Jesus' words to his disciples in Luke 12 verse 32 where he says, do not fear little flock for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God rejoices over those who repent. Do we rejoice in our great God who has received us and rejoices over us when we repent? God demonstrates his love. And there's a great description in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. It says this, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Having seen and received such love from God, we too should walk in this love. By, this, by these parables, Jesus taught that the the one who seeks those who are lost and rejoices, uh, he, he rejoices when they're found through repentance. So repentance is a key to restoration and that God always rejoices over those who repent. 
In the parable of the son who was lost and found, let's not imagine that we could ever identify ourselves, like when you try to say, who am I in this picture? We are never the father in this case. At all times, we are the younger son who needed to come to his senses, humble himself and repent, and we're also the older brother. And it can be at the exact same time that we we represent both, who failed to value the presence of the father, was self-righteous in his pride and what he had done. He was indignant when he should have rejoiced when his brother repented. God is not easily angered, nor does he keep record of our wrongs. As our good father, he protects us. He entrusts himself to us. He has great plans for us, and he perseveres with us even when we're lost. Let's give God and heaven reason to rejoice as we repent and we choose to trust him, that we would rejoice over those who he has received without begrudging anything. Hasn't God been good to us? Hasn't he been good to seek after us and to find us? We were that lost sheep. We were that lost coin, but he values us, not because we're deserving, but because we're his, and he wants us to know him. He wants us to be restored to relationship with us and with others. You see how the father is working to bring his sons together? I pray God does that, that he brings us together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, with families friends, that we would uh, walk in his grace and compassion towards all. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your, your, your powerful truth that you rejoice over those who repent. Thank you that you've given us new life and spiritual insight. And I pray we'd take this to heart, Lord, we'd take it personal, that we would be those who repent, that we wouldn't be uh, just thinking, that we are those, one of those 99 who need no repentance. But Lord, may we see our need to repent and to, uh, to show contrition and brokenness as we see in that younger son. Thank you, Lord, for those who have repented and for the ability to keep repenting. And I pray, Lord, we would walk in your ways and we would be like the Father who was gracious and compassionate, who wasn't seeking to punish or, to, uh, or who held grudges against either of his sons, but uh, showed such grace and compassion. Lord, may your love mark us. May your love uh, be unleashed through us for your glory, because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Father, I thank you that you rejoice over us and that we can rejoice over you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great day and God bless.